Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray. In this episode, I'm going solo for a series for 2024. This year, I decided to subscribe to Vinegar Syndrome. It's a label that specializes in kind of forgotten and cult horror movies and a whole variety of uh, different cinema. And it's part of me trying to stretch my uh, film tastes a little bit. There may be some movies that I don't enjoy that may be uncomfortable, may be very politically incorrect for the times that we're in now um, as I go through. So each month I'm receiving a, a box of movies from uh, the Vinegar Syndrome folks. So this is going to be my episode on January's Vinegar Syndrome films. And I'm looking forward to uh, talking about them uh, with each movie I'm going to just give a bit of a description and my initial impressions of the movie. And then I'm going to decide, am I going to shelve this movie, as in recommend it and keep it in my movie collection, or am I going to shed it? And I do plan to, if I don't care for a movie, uh, shed it from my collection and uh, find some way to uh, get in the hands of somebody who will appreciate it more. And we'll kind of see how this goes uh, throughout the year here. Um, but for this first box set, I have six movies. And so, uh, again, nice wide range of films uh, to talk about. The very first film I'm going to be chatting about is a movie from 1962 called The Horrible Dr. Hitchcock. After you left me, I'm sure somebody tried to get into my room. But that's absurd, my dear. Who could possibly do that? Is that her? Death will take you as you sleep. As you sleep. Sleep as deep as death. Your room's up there. Why is this door locked? It's always been locked. There was someone at the door, I assure you. Oh, rubbish, Cynthia. My room is next to yours, and I heard nothing at all. Scratch you, Professor. <laughs> it was Jezebel, my cat. What was that? This is an Italian horror film, uh, and it's directed by Ricardo Frida and written by Ernesto Gastaldi. And it, it follows a very familiar type of gothic horror format in some ways, but it does have a certain darker edge that I don't think an American version would have. It stars Robert Fleming as Professor Bernard Hitchcock, who is a pretty renowned professor and doctor and um, does surgeries, and he's tried to perfect this uh, anesthetic uh, with his patients. Uh, he's married to uh, this beautiful woman who uh, is a, a piano player, and seemingly they have a, a pretty happy marriage, but they do have kind of their own strange uh, sexual approach to their marriage, where uh, which involves Dr. Hitchcock 
anesthetizing his wife, which leads to the sex scenes, which in 1962, they don't show very much, but it's a lot of uh, suggestion. We have some other indications that this Professor Hitchcock, Dr. Hitchcock, is fairly comfortable digging up fresh corpses of uh, beautiful women, and he has a compulsion, and he's uh, uh, necrophiliac. And uh, again, this is more subtle than it would be probably in a, in a film if it was uh, released today. After uh, a tragic incident that happens uh, where he ends up accidentally killing his wife by giving a lethal dose of uh, this anesthetic, which he's perfected for surgeries, he leaves for many years. Uh, and he returns then many years later to this house uh, with his new wife. And his new wife is played by Barbara Steele. She plays Cynthia Hitchcock. And they seem very happy together until they get into this house where there are reminders of Dr. Hitchcock's dead wife. And I've seen this, and you may have seen this kind of formula before. And the house is, uh, you know, unusually creepy. And it seems like there's a ghostly presence around there. And there's a uh, housekeeper who, uh, again, doesn't seem to, uh, to like Cynthia all that much. And uh, there are just a lot of things kind of working against her. Uh, but she does strike up a friendship with Dr. Kurt Lowe. Silvano Tranquilia is the name of the actor. And he isn't quite sure about some of the things that, um, that Cynthia is saying. But he's definitely there to support her. And, you know, the first time they meet, they, they, they've attended the opera together. Dr. Hitchcock has to go back to uh, the, the clinic, and Dr. Lowe has uh, accompanied Cynthia home, and you can sense that there's an attraction there, all right? So I think, you know, you if you've seen a movie like this, you can probably see where it's going. Uh, I think I very much stayed ahead of the movie uh, most of the time. There wasn't anything I was terribly surprised by in it. And just kind of on the negative side, I mean, Barbara Steele's fantastic, and she's one of the great scream queens in the history of cinema, um, and particularly these Italian horror movies of the 60s. But Cynthia's a character who, every time she sees something kind of horrific, she faints. And we see this happen time and time again, and it's kind of a, a bit of a device that the screenwriter uses so that she loses time and gets herself into some uh, dangerous situations. And it's, you know, it becomes uh, a little bit much. Uh, and she does indeed kind of towards the end need to be rescued by Dr. Lowe. So a uh, bit of a, a damsel in distress type of a role, uh, unfortunately, for a, a, a very, very strong actor um, who would have maybe liked to see her, her character have a, a little bit more, a few more defenses or some ways to kind of combat what's happening to her. But that doesn't stop the fact that this is a really good-looking production on this fantastic uh, 4K disc that uh, Vinegar Syndrome has, has uh, sent me here. And the costuming looks good. Uh, the set direct decoration, and you can see it was all done in the studio, but that doesn't uh, matter too much. And there are some really dark, horrific scenes. There's uh, quite a famous moment where 
you know, where uh, Cynthia has been drugged and we see Robert Fleming and as uh, Dr. Hitchcock turn into a monster before our very eyes, not in a gimmicky sort of way. And it's very brief. It's, 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 it's subtle. And we also just have some horrific moments if you're the least bit claustrophobic. There's one sequence in there that's going to be uh, pretty tough to take. So I think it's quite good as far as uh, the whole gothic story, taking a familiar story and still making it entertaining. Uh, it's not a terribly long film. I know there's an American cut of it. I watched the original Italian with the Italian uh, language and English subtitles, and I, I really enjoyed um, that this version of the story. Apparently, the American one might have been because of the uh, necrophilia. That maybe that was it was cut back a little bit from uh, from the Italian. Uh, version of, of, of the film and uh, I, I, I ultimately am going to keep this movie uh, it's an easy one it was a great start to this uh, series that I am uh, doing on vinegar syndrome films and I'm looking forward to getting into the other five films which I will do reviews of after I watch them so again I would highly recommend if you like uh, gothic cinema to check out the horrible Dr. Hitchcock from 1962, uh, a wonderful Italian horror film. My next film is a very uh, <laughs> unusual film. Uh, it comes out of N Indonesia. It's called Santet. <laughs> Part of a disc with uh, Santet in its uh, sequel, so I will review review the sequel after I've uh, watched it. It's 
Starts off very, very strong with this uh, character named Kadame, who is our main character, played by a uh, Indonesian scream queen named Susanna. A local gangster has decided to kill his wife, who is feeling sick. And anytime he kills somebody, he blames it on black magic. And he gets uh, his mob and the people in the small town to believe that it was the black magic that the uh, cleric uh, and his wife had brought into the village. And so then they, to go in and get revenge for the gangster's wife's strange death, which was essentially just a poisoning, then uh, they go and they this mob kills the cleric by burning him alive. And then the gangster goes and uh, says he's going to marry the cleric's wife, who's Katima, and she nearly escapes being uh, raped by him, runs into the woods and comes across a witch who pre presents as uh, kind of an older woman, pretty thick makeup, but uh, a human head, but in a alligator's body. And she says that to be able to enact her uh, the revenge on the gangster, then Kadame is going to have to do three things. One of the things is going to be stealing uh, the placenta after a baby is born and eating it. Uh, second one is going to be swimming for a day among alligators. And the third one is walking around the village naked. And we see each of these happen. There's a lot of, a lot of potential in this setup. Uh, because and after that... She is practicing black magic, and she has the same powers um, as this witch. And we then kind of the movie meanders for a bit. We have these two kind of keystone cops that are in the village that are uh, they, they provide security, but they're just a, a comic relief essentially. And there's these games that. Academy plays with, with with them again. They they see her walking around naked, and then uh, a few nights later, uh, she's kind of running around and, and playing some silly tricks on them. Uh, and then one of the one of the police officers then gets into a situation where he's accused of being a thief, and it leads to a musical number which made absolutely no sense to me, and a bunch of uh, a big kind of dance number. And I don't know if this is just a little bit more of a, the Indonesian touch on uh, this type of a revenge horror film. But it, it really, there's a whole section of the film which goes pretty bad. And I, in fact, to the point where I almost am not recommending this. But then when we get back on track with the revenge story, it is ultimately very satisfying. There's the head of the police and what happens to him as this gangster tries to take over the village and be in charge of the law. He has all kinds of things where he's going around to different poor people and stealing their daughters as payment for debts that they are owing. He's not a nice not a nice character at all. The gangster has a really unique face. It's kind of has these kind of pock marks almost all over, like really kind of bad skin and everything. Um, and as like just a a face made for a role like this. So it's kind of, I, I think, very much this Susanna and that actor uh, who plays kind of the the main villain are the reason to see this film and their battle. But 
there there then becomes a thing with the police officer uh who is a good man who then meets his untimely death death and his son who comes back who is you know a very a good muslim as well and is practicing uh religion and they make it clear the only way to combat black magic is through uh religion and towards the end it becomes a little bit more of a battle um between the original witch and this young man who is using religion and faith to battle the black magic so there's a real kind of message here against using black magic for uh for revenge yet you know the the revenge thing feels like it should be a little bit more satisfying because our gangster is so evil and early on does so many horrible things that we definitely feel like we want to see uh, this guy and all of his henchmen get what they deserve. And we sort of get that, but then we have this whole other part to it. So it's it's a real mix, kind of an uneven film. Um, this would be definitely, uh, for sure, high recommendation. If it wasn't for that very strange kind of broad comedy sequence, which led into a really silly, unnecessary musical number that I could have completely done without. I'm going to choose to focus on more of the good than the bad. Uh, I am going to watch, of course, Sentat 2, and they're both on the same disc, and then make an ultimate decision about whether I'm going to shed it from my movie shelf or I'm going to shelve it and, uh, and, and, and keep it. I haven't quite made that decision yet. Uh, Sentet means black magic. Uh, that's the, uh, the English interpretation. But it was interesting to watch uh, a late 1980s uh, Indonesian horror film, revenge film. Um, and so I think it's uh, for those who want to sort of sound kind of interested in a really wacky uh, original movie experience. I think it's very much that. Again, when I'm talking previously about uh, the horrible Dr. Hitchcock, I've seen that type of movie before. There was a few things here and there that are a little bit unique to it. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen anything quite like Santet, and so that is works to its benefit for sure, even though all of the side information, the stuff that kind of feels like it, it pads the running time, really just doesn't help the overall picture of it there. So a little bit of a mixed to a kind of a mild thumbs up for me on this one. Taking a break from Santet, uh, I looked at the kind of the third big collection that I was given with this this package and it's Forgotten Jallo Volume 6. And the first film from that collection that I'm watching is Death Carries a Cane from 1973.
Jello films, I think, very much led into the idea of the 1970s and then 1980s slasher film that in the slasher genre that continues on today. But these Italian Jello movies always had kind of a murder mystery and a police procedural aspect to them, um, which is not always the case with a slasher film. Death Carries a Cane. Very familiar uh, with any of these Jello films. We uh, see. A woman named Kathy who uh, is a photographer and she's uh, look, looking out and she spots a murder uh, while she's waiting and while she's waiting for her uh, partner to come and pick up uh, her parents who are going to be going back to Sweden where she's from um, and this leads to a lot of suspicion about who may have done this but the uh, thing that comes out is that the killer uh, has a cane and and is likely uh, has some sort of a limp. We have uh, all of the traits of uh, this type of a film. Uh, there's the forced perspective shots where we're seeing the killer's uh, point of view. Sometimes that's a little bit of a false lead. We have a fair amount of gratuitous sex and nudity, which was very much part of the Italian uh, giallo film movement. I would say my, my favorite thing about this particular subgenre is the murder mystery aspect of it. Um, yeah, it, it brings kind of the red and the blood, um, and they're always a series of kind of interesting and colorful characters. Usually, there's some sort of a an explanation for who the killer is, a bit of a psychological angle to it as well. Certainly, as I've talked about before, filmmakers like, in particular, Brian De Palma was very influenced by these uh, these Giallo films. I really liked uh, Neves Navarro, who plays Kathy, who witnesses the murder. Then her partner is Robert Hoffman, who plays Alberto. And we initially think that it might be Alberto is the one who is behind this but I knew based on the early scenes they choreographed it way too much or they really uh, the the direction leads uh, in that place which it would be too early in the film to be that obvious there. Marizo uh, Prado is the uh, director and it was this was written by Alfonso Belcazar, Arpa de Rizzo and Jorge Martin and uh, as well as the director, uh, Maurizio Pradu, who is also part of the screenwriting team for it. I think it's a pretty good thriller, murder mystery, slash horror film, and I wasn't able to predict who the killer was. So there was something satisfying in that. 
The explanation towards the end, though, of why the killer is who the, who the killer turns out to be is a little bit stretching it and doesn't doesn't quite compute. Uh, I mean, there is a bit of a section where uh, this particular character I thought was an outside chance was the killer um, based on a scene early in the film, but that's kind of was not not necessarily uh, the reasoning behind uh, this. And maybe I don't need the explanation. Maybe it's fine just to leave it as this is who did it. And I would say the the kills and the setups are very elaborate, very well executed, very well directed. I, I do have some issues a little bit with the Kathy character who uh, we can sort of tell early on is going to be our final girl for lack of a better term. That wasn't really a term used with uh, with Jallo films. Seems very, you know, on top of it, incompetent and resourceful early in the film and then becomes kind of uh, ditzy and uh, a little bit clumsy. Uh, there's an, a very odd scene where she's with Alberto and Alberto says that the only thing she's good at is photography and making love. And uh, Kathy says, yes, and thank goodness for that. Uh, again, very much feels like it's written by men and uh, certainly this genre is exploitation cinema, so uh, expect a little bit of that. But just the, the, the character was a bit inconsistent. The other thing I would say is it's kind of easy to get confused about the women in this film. There's a whole series of very beautiful blonde women and very beautiful red-headed women. And there were points when I actually thought different characters were in scenes and had been, in some cases, actually killed off. And then I would see, oh no, that's that character in another scene, I had the wrong person there. So it might be a fault for myself, just, but uh, a lot of the supporting female characters felt very, very similar in nature. Uh, I did like the angle of the media, and then there's a, a, a female reporter who's very into crimes and solving crimes. And it's a little bit of a pain in the neck for the police officers because she uh, tries to scoop them. I think that character is really interesting as well. I was always quite clear on, on who she was. Um, but it's uh, it certainly is worth people's time if they know this type of cinema, uh, this Italian thriller horror. Uh, again, it's meant to be kind of on the B side. And this is not, of course, the best example of this. Like something like... Uh, Bird of the Crystal Plumage, which I had uh, put on my discoveries list for uh, 2023. I certainly recommend Death Carries a Cane, and I, I plan to shelve it and keep it as part of my movie collection. My next Jello film is, I think, an improvement on the last uh, film, but uh, as much as I enjoyed the last one. The title I have here through uh, the Jello collection is Naked You Die. Nude o quasi nude? Nella piscina riscaldata di un college inglese. Un posto chic, dove le ragazze nuotano, studiano, leggono. Fanno tante cose piacevoli, nude o vestite secondo i momenti. Comunque, a labbra nude, a occhio nudo. Sono tante, carine, alcune vivaci, intraprendenti, altre romantiche. C'è l'istitutrice e qualcun altro e qualcos'altro
nude si muore quando l'assassino può scegliere a suo agio le vittime quando può agire al sicuro quando c'è morte invece di amore quei passi scoprono un mondo di angosce insidiose e segrete e l'ombra della notte nasconde il terrore la bellezza è un'esca terribile nude si muore in una delirante vertigine sommersa nella corsa di un incubo disperato in un precipizio senza vita colpirà ancora? perché? quando? e dove? e perché? 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 perché nude si muore una suspense che stringe il cuore in una morsa che stimola i sensi che violenta il cervello lo domina, lo conquista nude si muore una ghiacciante indagine sui raffinati supplizi di donne insoddisfatte sui più tenebrosi misteri della psiche umana in un ambiente dove morte e peccato si stringono in un mostruoso amplesso which is a very misleading title. This is one of two criticisms I have about the movie. It also has another title called The Young, the Evil, and the Savage, which I think is a kind of a bulky but a slightly more appropriate title for this movie. One of the other knock against it, just to get that out of the way, is that I was able to predict who the killer was in, in this one. But it's kind of interesting as far as this Naked You Die title which sounds very uh, intriguing for uh, in, in the way that uh, Jalo film would want it to be intriguing. It is actually a lot more subtle and doesn't have as much of the gratuitous sex and nudity that, uh, that uh, the previous film had. I really enjoyed it. It uh, starts off with a great opening with a fairly elaborate murder sequence, um, which leads to a body being uh, essentially put into this chest which is then transported from a taxi onto onto a uh, a train and then delivered by car to this boarding school it's summer in the boarding school but there are about 10 girls at this all girls boarding school who are still there for the summer holidays and they have these teachers that are uh, coming in uh, and this is the kind of school where the teachers are uh, teach uh, horseback riding and swimming and there's an etymology teacher who has this this bug house that he's really uh, 
focused on and he's not actually teaching but he just doesn't do uh, well with summer holidays and uh, what happens is I guess predictably is that uh, a lot of the girls start getting killed one after another and we're trying to sort out among all these various uh, staff members and the students who the killer uh, might be. We do focus on one character named Lucille and Lucille having a, a, a romance with one of the uh, really young teachers who's been only with the school for about two months. Uh, again, nature of this movie, very inappropriate uh, teacher-student relationship in here, which doesn't seem to be really dealt with in any sort of manner that we would expect it to be dealt with. But uh, other than the fact that it does uh, bring some suspicion on to, uh, at points, uh, some of the characters connected to this. And it appears that as these murders start happening, they're very much connected to somebody following Lucille in the middle of the night when she is trying to uh, get together with this horseback riding teacher and with these plans of them escaping the school and and going off and uh, and getting married because she's very soon she's going to turn 18. Uh, there's also a little bit of a backstory about how uh, her parents had died and she's due when she's 18 to uh, earn a whole bunch of money. But uh, the, the real joy of this is kind of watching uh, the police investigation, I, I really like the kind of the main police officer in this movie because he is able to figure out everything that uh, the girls, particularly Danielle, is doing right from the beginning of the uh, of this murder investigation when he comes in with this kind of uh, younger detective. He's very experienced. Also, one of the other uh, interesting students is very interested in crime. Uh, and is writing uh, a murder mystery novel at the same time as these events are happening. And she got a walkie-talkie, uh, which was brand new technology in the, the time frame of this film, which she's using to find out information as the murder mystery goes on, but also to kind of get some ideas for uh, her fiction. And there's a little bit of a interesting payoff as far as her and um, her, who her father is. But uh, Eleonora Brown plays Lucille, and I think she does a really good job. And then Sally Smith plays Jill, and Jill is the one who is really interested in um, trying to help the police uh, solve this crime. I think, yeah, there are some really uncomfortable things as far as how the students are, are very focused on uh, the swimming teacher, and is he good-looking? Am I going to fall in love with him? And how some of these conversations that are had with the adults just, uh, I can admit, probably in a 2024 context, don't feel that right. And again, I don't know if it's just kind of the, the, the fact that uh, these films are often uh, written and directed by uh, men. Antonio Margarita is the uh, director and does a very nice job of elevating uh, this material. Uh, he's also uh, one of the writers. Mario Bava, the master, really, of Jalo Films, is one of the writers in the film, as well as Brian Degas, Tudor Gates, Giovanni Simonelli, and Franco Batari. So this was a, quite a good group of these Jalo filmmakers and who were responsible for these uh, horror 
thriller murder mysteries and, and police procedurals at the time. Uh, the movie looks good. I think it has a little bit of a different energy and maybe some more unique beats. Again, just in comparison to, uh, to Death Carries a Cane, where I found it to be kind of a, a paint-by-numbers type of a story, yet still very interesting. And the advantage that that one had was I wasn't able to predict who the killer was. I was able to figure this out, some of the details. Once again, when you have the villain doing a bit of a monologue explaining uh, the motivations and everything, again, I, it's, it's, you know, that that is as old as time, and uh, cer certainly Hollywood films are guilty of that. But I would certainly say that people should check out this movie. The Young, the Evil, and the Savage is probably between the two titles the one I prefer. Naked You Die, uh, I still don't understand how they got that particular title. It doesn't really make much sense. It's sort of partially, I guess, alluded to in uh, the opening sequence, in the opening murder sequence. And there's repeated scenes that happen in uh, the shower in the girls' school, but they're, again, not uh, done in quite as an exploit exploitative a, a manner as I thought that they might have been. There's a little bit of a subplot early on. There's a lot of attention paid to the, the gardener custo custodian in the, in the school, thinking that he's maybe the, the killer. We obviously know early on that that's not the case. But there's a bit of an uncomfortable thing where he's a peeping Tom and he climbs up a, a tree and watches the girls uh, trying to catch moments when they're showering or they're naked. Um, and that just, uh, again, that's pretty uncomfortable little subplot there. I mean, it's meant to sort of draw suspicion and attention to that character. So for the, the plot of the film, I guess, uh, it, it has a bit of a purpose there. But yeah, I just, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's just kind of a, a bit of a lazy thing that, uh, the, the first suspect ends up being a custodian character. And they make the custodian character into a bit of a creepy guy. But, uh... Again, um, I'm watching an exploitation film. I shouldn't be putting kind of realistic 2024 logic onto some of these films. It is an enthusiastic uh, recommend. So this movie uh, with the title Naked You Die is one that I am going to shelve and keep in my movie collection. And I, I think uh, those who like giallo films will really enjoy this one. Final note on Naked You Die. I watched the Italian version of this. There's also an American version, which is... Uh, connected to the disc that I have. I tend to like to watch the original Italian versions of these films. They're usually a little bit longer. Maybe there's some stuff that might have been censored in the American versions. It's the version that, of it that I have watched. I've not watched the American version to this point. Well, Academy can't seem to get away from Black Magic in Santet 2. <laughs> Kambing saya rupanya habis dimakan macan. Macan? Semuanya orang sini, termasuk saya, melihat ke kambing berubah menjadi macan. Betulkah begitu? Ini orang ingin membunuhmu. Dia akan menuntut balas kematian muridnya di angkat. Orang yang mana nggak ada dinya, pasti akan dijadian. Ayah akan, akan mau. Bahwa wanita harimau itu adalah Katemi. Janda itu harus kita bunuh. Mana mulus, budil, 
title that people might find female tigers and so it is true very much as it is with american cinema that with indonesian cinema a sequel to an original is not quite as good i wrestled a little bit with some stuff in santet one but it was really kind of unique and interesting santet two has some positive moments uh, in it and certainly there's a bit of a, a gore factor and some interesting practical effects, in particular I'm thinking of a scene where uh, a hand comes out of uh, a possessed woman. And some of the violence is okay, but some other stuff is really, really silly. So Kadame, in the very first scene, uh, opens her closet and she finds uh, the teacher of the witch from the uh, first film. It was really upset that her protege is, has been killed and is now going to possess Kadame and then turn into a tiger with the goal of killing the cleric, who is uh, the son of the, the previous kind of police chief in the village um, from the first film. And uh, again, they, they play up a little bit more on this uh, romance between Kadame and uh, this, uh, this young man who kind of comes in and tries to be the voice of reason for this village. Uh, it's the exact same cast uh, in this. Uh, I do like this uh, Susanna, but I don't think this was as strong a performance, and, nor as given as, as much interesting stuff to do. Like the, the real drive to me of the first movie was the revenge piece after her husband has been so brutally killed by... Uh, the gangster. The same actor who played the gangster, who has a really interesting face, as I mentioned before, turns up in this movie again in the silliest way possible. This is supposed to be the son of the gangster who is coming back to the village, and there's no way that this is the son. He looks just as old, exactly the same. They try to cover it up with wigs, and um, and there's a real subplot with him trying to sneak marijuana and sell and distribute marijuana through fish in, in the village. One of uh, a couple other filler subplots. Um, the kind of buffoonish police officer's return, in particular this, this, the one gentleman who... Uh, has an interesting enough face, very thin guy, and uh, teeth that are kind of going all over the place. And now, kind of early on, they set up this idea that he is interested in uh, chasing after uh, young women in the village, even though he's married to uh, this, uh, th this woman. And we watch this whole sequence happen where the uh, young woman 
and the wife kind of collude together to trap him. And then we continue on like sequences that, that go on way too long with these bumbling cops assuming all of these different people. Unfortunately, a lot of these people who are have uh, facial deformities or skin deformities or uh, there's uh, a little person who is mute. Uh, and all part of this really bizarre sequence where a bunch of innocent people are accused of being this uh, tiger shapeshifter. When pretty much everybody in the village knows that it's Ketame, so I don't know why we are spending time on this. And again, there's another, uh, there's a couple musical numbers here. Uh, the one at the beginning kind of makes sense of this dance, if you're going to go into like this, this subplot involving uh, this buffoon chasing after these these... Uh, this younger woman in the village. That scene's kind of important for that. Not as much for the 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 tiger lady part of, of, of the story. But there's another one that happens. And I guess it doesn't stop. Well, it stops the movie for sure and feels like filler. But it isn't as much of a just like, what the heck was that about that it is in in the first film when there's this musical number that just kind of stops stops the uh, the movie completely and isn't really explained. In this case, uh, at first I was like, what's going on here? Because this again involves this bumbling cop and Kadame, uh, and he's Tarzan and he's flying a plane and it's about how much he thinks she's this beautiful woman. But it does turn out to be, you know, Spoilers for the movie, if this is something that you're interested in, a dream sequence. At least this weird musical number has a reason, sort of, or an explanation for being there. But it just felt like they had a very thin plot for this one, and it's nowhere near as good as the first one, nowhere near as interesting. I would say uh, there's another section where Kenneme gets to enact revenge against... In this case, no, it's the gangster's son and, 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 and that gang. That's a very satisfying sequence. I think that's maybe a little bit of what I was looking for in the original as well. It was starting off as kind of a re revenge-o-matic, and then it uh, ultimately became a bit, of, a bit of a good versus evil, uh, all of versus black magic type of thing. Uh, that This sequel really does lean on the Allah and the faith, uh, Muslim faith, against black magic idea uh, kind of throughout and the climax in both movies uh, work that way. I, I almost at the end thought to myself this is maybe like a faith-based film uh, out of Indonesia and uh, uh, very much promoting the Muslim faith. So it's it's definitely been interesting watching these two but I would say Santat 2 is something that I would shed from my movie shelf. It's not one that I really want to complete. So the dilemma reaching uh, one more review after this and by the end of the episode is whether the disc which has both 1 and 2 is worth keeping in my collection or whether I should uh, shed it from uh, from my movie shelf. So more to come on that. Yeah, Santat 2, or as it's also called, Female Tigers from 1989, is not as good a film as the original. Not as interesting, and so I couldn't recommend it. The final movie from The Forgotten Jello, Volume 6, is The Bloodstained Shadow.
Something awful's happened. Paolo! Paolo, what's going on? I saw a murder right under my window. Well, the woman was strangled to death, but she must have put up a fight before she was killed. Like the case of that girl some time back. She was found strangled in a meadow, and the killer was never caught. I keep looking for a motive for her death. You know, a woman was murdered here. The same way your daughter was could be the same one. Certainly the person writing must be crazy, all right. possible that it's the same one and for some obscure motive he started to kill again more than one person in the village has lost patience with you the police will question me and i no don't worry about it have you any reason to that woman's very bad you know why do you say that she practices strange rites in her house i think she used to blackmail clients in some way with those seances she held house was rifled. Nothing was missing, though. We found his jewels and money all there. It's safer if you wait here. He's trying to kill me. He thinks I know him, but I didn't see anything. You understand? Powell, stop it! Stefan, my poor brother. Since you arrived, awful things have started. Here you found a hell. It's essentially about uh, a professor from uh, Rome who comes back to this town, which is kind of close to Venice, to visit his brother, who's a priest. Uh, on the trip over, he meets this uh, beautiful uh, red-headed woman, um, which, of course, will play up later as uh, kind of a relationship develops. Um, she's a uh, artist who uh, looks after and cares for her her mother, who is uh, who is sick and is quite a quite a, a renowned artist as well, um, the priest one night witnesses a murder and uh, is not able to identify who the murderer is, but starts receiving some threatening messages. And so uh, the brother and the priest are trying to figure out who's behind this. Uh, and then part of the kind of the early tension here was 
that there's a medium in town who does seances with some prominent people uh, in the town, a doctor, a count, um, another uh, woman who has a, a, a son with some problems uh, that she kind of takes care of. And the priest is at odds with uh, what this uh, what this woman is doing, but she ends up being the victim of the um, of the first murder. And then there's some stuff kind of surrounding her. You know, I, I it was interesting, like in comparison to the other five movies, certainly uh, this is not uh, the, the bottom of the films that I'm talking about here, but at the same time, um, it kind of lacks the energy that some of the other, certainly the other Jalo films um, that you talked about have. It takes a little while before it gets going. There are some interesting kills in there and a, a little bit of violence. Uh, there is kind of one one sex scene in the in the movie, but again, it's, it doesn't have the exploitation quality of Death Carries a Cane. I kind of like the characters, I like the setting, and there's also this whole notion that this professor is traumatized as a child from witnessing this murder, but never being able to identify who the murderer was of this other young woman, and they start to believe that there's a connection between the current murders and the ones that happened before. So those are kind of the good things about 1978's The, the Bloodstained Shadow. However, kind of slow starting, good in the middle. There's one point which is a little bit of a false lead towards the end, but I, which I was really happy that the movie didn't end there. But then everything that happens after that is really convoluted, elaborate, ridiculous. There's a, a kind of a bad denouement and a few things that then towards the end that become a little bit uh, predictable. But the, the scene where everything gets unraveled and explained, uh, just kind of like, oh, this is just, this is too much. And yet at the same time, I kind of predicted who the villain or the kind of the main uh, villain was going to be the murderer in this uh, in this film. So I, I'm having trouble recommending this, but it is a not without its charm. It's a watchable film. It's on the whole fairly well made. Antonio Bido is the uh, is the director and the writers are the director. Antonio Bido came up with a screen story with Domenico Milan, and they both worked on the screenplay, as did uh, Marisa Andaleo. Um, again, butchering the pronunciation of, uh, of the, that writer's name. So I, I, I almost feel like I want to recommend it, but I think it just gets too silly uh, towards the end. And I think those who are liking, you know, a little bit more of the pace of, of say like in Naked You Die, we have a really exciting scene uh, to begin the film. Uh, I also am not crazy about how the, the flashback scenes are handled, the filmmaking, it's kind of this super slow-mo, it, it doesn't look uh, fantastic, uh, as unlike the rest of the film, which looks very, very good in this uh, uh, Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray that uh, that we have, which is part of this this forgotten Jalo collection is, is really uh, is on the whole quite quite terrific and the movies look good and uh, I like that they are preserved and I don't regret my time with the bloodstained shadow but as we move into kind of the end of the episode you know I, I, I do want to sort of say that it's kind of on the lower tier of the films that uh, 
that we're talking about. The question is, would I shelve it or would I shed it from my shelf? I think this is the one movie in the uh, Jello collection that I would I would actually uh, shed from my movie collection. Yet, I don't think it's right to break up the set of uh, three films. So, I think I would ultimately keep it based on the strength of the other two films. So, now, uh, I want to go through each of the films and award them points. I, again, we won't have a guest to sort of counteract the opinions here to create some interesting possible uh, ties and, and that sort of thing. But just uh, going through uh, the films again, I think that uh, the horrible Dr. Hitchcock is really the class of this group of six. And I would award it uh, six points. Santet, number one, is certainly an interesting film. And I think it's just perhaps because of its originality, it will get a little bit more points than uh, perhaps it ultimately uh, deserves, but I would uh, I would give it three points. Death Carries a Cane, uh, again a, a solid film, it has all the elements of a of a terrific Jalo film, and so uh, as a result of that, I, I I am going to give it four points. But then Naked You Die, despite the uh, rather lurid but ultimately you know misleading title, I, I think is uh, the other really tr great discovery of this first set of movies coming from Vinegar Syndrome. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit and I would I would give it five points. Santet 2 is a rough go. I mean I think there are some positives in there uh, there's some moments that work and kind of allude back to the first film, but it's definitely not as good as the first film. And it has just more filler than anything else that really just ultimately doesn't work. So it's a, it's a one point for me on that one. And finally, The Bloodstained Shadow, I guess the weakest of the Jello films in this episode. Still entertaining enough, but it's kind of a near miss for me. So I would give it two points. So Horrible Dr. Hitchcock would be the big winner with six points. Naked You Die with five points. Death Carries a Cane with four points. Santet One would have three points. Then we have two points for the Bloodstained Shadow. And at the very bottom of the pile is Santet Two. So the dilemma at the end, as I've already kind of stated with uh, Forgotten Jello volume six that I would keep that collection uh, all three movies included obviously I am keeping the horrible Dr. Hitchcock which I was the kind of the best film of this bunch but what to do about Santet one and two the first film would be kind of number four on this this list of films for me and number two uh, clear uh, sixth place so I think I am less interested in revisiting these movies. I I'm, I'm don't regret seeing them, but I don't see a real reason to uh, keep them in my movie collection. So I am going to shed this collection of two films. And still, that's, uh, again, really kind of unique uh, films. And this has been a good experience. I certainly understand getting in that Vinegar Syndrome deals with forgotten international and cult films and genre cinema and really things that are out there on the fringes. So uh, it wasn't too uncomfortable to watch these films, but I, I have the sense that there's going to be 
more challenges throughout the year as I continue this series going forward here. But I've really enjoyed this. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about these movies and uh, listening to this solo episode. Before I go, I want to shout out uh, various podcasts. I, I do want to shout out, especially in this case, uh, Film Feast and uh, Matt Bledsoe. For, uh, I, I checked with him. He's a big Vinegar Syndrome fan about subscribing to this for the year and uh, going on this journey and he really advised me that it would be uh, uh, a good thing for me as a movie watcher and a podcaster and so please check out his podcast uh, please check out Lindsay's podcast Schlock and Awe, Kurt Fitzpatrick's podcast A Lifetime of Hallmark and as always I want to shout out uh, Rank and Review Larry Parsons terrific podcast we'll be hearing from Larry uh, in probably our next episode of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, and fairly soon uh, on Rankin, Re Rankin Review, I'm going to be uh, guesting on his show again, which I always look forward to talking movies with Larry. Again, as I uh, normally sign off, I just want people to stay safe, be kind to one another, and keep supporting the movies, whether they are 1960s, 70s, and 80s, B-Cinema, or the Oscar bait, as we're uh, fully into Oscar season right now, with Oscar episodes coming up, and uh, everything in between. Keep watching the movies and keep supporting cinema. Until next time, goodbye.